0: Good morning and welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. Thanks ever so much indeed for listening today. Today's guest that I have is actually one of my private mentees, an amazing lady who is very humble. She's quite self deprecating. I don't think she really knows her own strengths. Welcome to the podcast, Jane Vincent. Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy. And this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Good
1: morning, Wendy.
0: <laughs> Jane, it's great to have you on. It's absolutely great to have you on, on the podcast. I'm really pleased that you agreed to being interviewed by me. Uh, <laughs> I'll try not to make it too scary for you. Um, but I, I really appreciate you coming on because, um, you know, you and I know that the property is to a large degree still dominated by men. While, you know, there's more women investing in property and there's more women who are kind of taking charge of their finances and, and getting invested in property. Um, you've been doing this for a number of years now through your business, The Fold Shared Living, which is a wonderful brand, a wonderful uh, name for a a property company. Um, But what I'd like to know is just kind of, can you take us back a little bit, take us back a few years? How how did you first start getting uh, interested in HMOs and start investing in HMOs?
1: Well, if I take you back a bit further than that, um, just to say that um, my career after I left university was um, in council housing. So I was managing and allocating council house housing um, and for housing associations after that as well. Um, so I was always involved in meeting the general public and also um, in housing um, the general public. Mm. And I was also involved in homelessness as well at one stage. Um, so my, that was my career for 25 plus years. Um, I always knew also that, that um, property was something... A good to get into to to um, invest your money and yeah be able to uh, take an income from it. So at one point I had bought three buy to let properties, um, but I hadn't understood the concept of um, like doing something up or adding value to it and then taking money out and recycling it. So I wasn't really aware of that at all, and I was really frustrated at how I could actually get to to buy more property.
0: Uh, so, it, really, quite early on, you, you, you've you been working in housing, so you saw the need, which was incredibly useful. And I suppose also you've been dealing with tenants, hadn't you? And you've been dealing with some of the processes of what tenants were looking for in properties and probably what they complained about as well.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, I, I dealt with the whole spectrum of things, really. It was um, repairs, renteries disputes between neighbours, I mean, you name it, really, I, I dealt with it. So none of that side of it actually phased um, me at all, really, sort of thing. So um, after 25 plus years in in housing, we also have an engineering company. So I then went and worked full time the engineering company. And that's when I kind of felt that I had a bit more time and I could focus a bit more on how I could actually get into doing some more property work. Um, and then I discovered um um, some training, so I actually discovered Progressive Property and uh, went to one of their events in London mm-hmm. and was amazed, really, at that point about the number of strategies that actually were available that you could get into. I mean, I'd only really thought of like single buy to lets and thought of all the other um, aspects of it. Um, so that kind of opened my eyes to to HMOs, really, um, and with my background and everything else, that seemed like quite a logical way to to go. So in 2014 I bought my first house locally to um turn into an HMO.
0: So at that stage you had a small portfolio of single-bite lets
1: is that right? That's correct, yes. Yeah.
0: But you hadn't really kind of explored any other property strategies or really
1: kind of expanded the business particularly at that stage. No, not at so. all. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't understand like um how to to go about doing that, really? So I tried to, I did try and um, investigate how to do that through um, some mortgage brokers, actually, that I was dealing with at the time. So I think, but it, they probably weren't the right people to talk to. Um, so I, yeah, when I found some education, that was kind of the uh, the the thing that started it all, really. I'd have to say that's
0: great, and I, I mean, I think that's true for so many people, isn't it? That they can almost pinpoint the time when it was like the light bulb went on in their head and something changed and they can kind of trace it back to that moment. And it sounds like going on that progressive weekend really did kind of spark something in you that you thought, hey, there's 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 more to this property business than meets the eye. <laughs> there's much yeah. more to it than I've experienced so far.
1: Yeah, it was like a whole new world. It's like a whole new world of, you know, like something I'd never experienced before. So, you know, that was really great sort of thing. So that's definitely what started it off sort of thing. And then I did invest in some more training to actually learn from people who had actually done HMOs as well. So I had some mentoring for um, from people who uh, got HMOs up and running already because I just felt that, that was a better way of doing it rather than making my own mistakes. It was like I could use the information I could get from other people to actually um, do it properly or the first time round.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that with HMOs, they are a more advanced strategy than single by to let's. There are, you know, traps for the unwary which I, I sometimes talk about and uh, I think you're right to have you know you're wise to get that education and uh, input bef- before you started to launch in um so 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 you, you did the education you started to sort of um, have a little bit more input in terms of a sort of regular mentoring kind of um, approach which is which is really helpful um so tell us a little bit about that first the first project you did Jane what what was it and uh, how did it turn out
1: um, wow, well, it was I decided I was going to um invest locally rather than um um in the north of England because uh, I'm in based in the south of England. so um the temptation was to to get better figures really, if you went um further north. So but I decided I want to manage it myself and do everything myself, so it's far easier just to do it locally. um, so that was one thing. um I suppose it was a massive massive learning curve first one. Um, I probably chose the wrong builder uh, the first time around. Uh, He was very much old school and thought that um, HMOs were like bedsits and not particularly nice bedsits at that, and you shouldn't invest a lot of money in making them nice. Uh, Whereas I wanted to provide a high-end product to young professionals was the the group that I was looking at um, housing um so that was one massive error and he was quite difficult to communicate with I mean he, they did a, a reasonable job but he I found him difficult to to get hold of and then you always say like uh, oh you don't want to do that love that that type of like um approach <laughs> um, <so laughs> uh, and then it was difficult because obviously I didn't yeah you know, I didn't know specifically what I was doing so some of the things I like well okay if, you, if that's what you, you think then I'll go down that line sort of thing so I wasn't that kind of like pushy because I didn't know for sure what I what I wanted really um so in fact with that particular house I've actually ended up a few years later doing some more work to it uh interesting enough yeah. I invested enough in actually making it nice the first time around I'd left things in it which I wish I hadn't um and so yeah it definitely didn't didn't pay to do that Um, Also, the other thing I ended up with was I went through the estate agent that I was buying property through to get a mortgage. Now, that was a a massive error as well, um, because he only had experience in student housing. So he gave me a mortgage um, or got me a mortgage that um, related more to student housing in the sense that it was um, for... Where you have like everybody on the same tenancy. So whereas I was actually going to let each room individually, and did let each room individually. So later on, when I went to another mortgage broker, um, somebody was recommended to me. Then he was like, "Well, that's a, basically you're com- you're committing fraud." Um, so yeah, that was another error sort of thing. So obviously, I've corrected that as I've gone along, sort of thing. But yes, it was a massive like learning curve. Even even with the mentoring, it kind of there were still things about it that that hadn't gone correctly. Smoothly.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that with buying property, the the phrase uh, caveat emptor, buyer beware still stands true, doesn't it? You know, you've got to do Mm. your due diligence, you've got to do your homework and uh, it's, it's, uh, there are, there are pitfalls you you can make mistakes along the way. Um, And I think particularly, obviously in your neck of the woods, you're, you're investing in the Southeast and, and that, is very expensive compared to other parts of the country where you can buy HMOs so you were putting a lot of capital into this initial build and I I bet at times you must have felt a little bit like you're on
1: a bit of a roller coaster ride um yes I suppose initially I yeah initially I did um and I was trying to cut costs I suppose all the time because I basically had re Financed the three buy-to-let properties I had, and the, got the money out of those to buy uh, to put down the deposit for this particular house. And I was short of funds for the um, the refurbishment, so that so I was that was part of why I was trying to keep it at a low cost anyway. Um, and I even used my youngest son to um, he was helping the builder do some. He was he became the uh, the decorator's mate, and he was. <laughs> He was helping to, uh, to, yeah, I'm not sure he was that delighted about it, but it's sort of, you know, uh, help the family business sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Rope him, yeah. him in at, at a, a young age, get him exactly. young. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> but I had to drag him out of bed every day, but that's another story. I'm there. sure it was good for his character, Jane. It was, yeah, it exactly, good. character building.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. So what's been your biggest challenge or your most difficult challenge with, with
1: the business, would you say? um i think that probably came um at the beginning of lockdown um because i just at that point i just purchased the property which we were going to do um the most work that i've done on any property too so it involved doing an extension um so i had bridging finance in place and they were going to provide me with the develop, development finance as well for the project but as soon as um the everything closed down um, as a result of the pandemic, they pulled the development finance. Um, so I still had purchased it with the bridging. So that was uh, okay, but I had no funds available to then actually do the work. So I suppose it was like trying to find a way forward um, to, to fund it, really, mm-hmm. uh, because n- nobody else wanted to know either. <laughs> that was the other thing. And particularly as I got um, the bridging finance elsewhere, nobody just wanted to fund the development finance part of it yeah um so yeah so luckily um I was able to use the um the builders um mainly funded it um this is my would have been my ninth project now so for eight of those projects I've actually used the same builder uh and obviously he had um that was his job that he could get on with during lockdown really as well so um He was happy to finance it for me. And also he was able to apply for a bounce back loan, um, which massively helped things. And then when I refinanced, I was able to, uh, to pay him the whole amount back again.
0: So he's been an absolutely tremendous find, Jane, hasn't he? After that first project that didn't go so well, where you didn't have a good relationship with the builder and he had his own views about what you should produce and you weren't sure and, you know, it outturned that, yeah, you, you, you'd you done your first HMO, but there were things still left to do and you perhaps weren't 100% happy with it, to last year finding yourself in an equally challenging position. This time it wasn't because of not knowing what you didn't know, but it was because of COVID, But what you had done is you developed a much more effective power team. And uh, not only a great builder who understands what you want and is is, is able to produce the product, but also he had money in the bank and he was happy for you to borrow it.
1: I yes, mean, that's a that pretty delicious. good deal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I think I think Rishi helped as well with his um bounce back loan. Um, true, true. Unfortunately, I also tried to get a bounce back loan, um, but because I've got a personal account in my bank and not a business account, they refused to let me have one. Mm. But luckily he he wasn't in that position, so he was able to apply and get one. In fact, he's still got it now. He's still funding the latest project or help. <laughs> So
0: well. I, I think Jane you just made it look like you were you know a, a, a lady who had uh, you know just a little bit of project a little bit of property you were very sort of demure very humble I he did not see you coming did he? he he, he was <laughs> lying there <laughs> and <laughs> you've taken him for everything he's worth no i don't think that's true <laughs> but i mean obviously um, I mean, if you've done if you've done eight projects together he obviously likes working with you too which is great
1: yes obviously um it's yeah it's um, been a massive a massive amount of work for for him as well sort of thing so and hopefully we we'll work together going forward yeah that's
0: great that's really good
1: what do you like best about your HMO business jane um, I think one of the main things is a certain amount of freedom um, because it's not a nine-to-five everyday job, really. It's, um, it's a job that I can dip in and out of to a certain extent, so I can do what I want at other times. So I quite like that aspect of it. I, I don't know whether we've said, but I do manage um, manage my own properties mm-hmm. so, and I let my own properties. So yeah. So all aspects of the um, the management and the letting, etc., are, are what I you I, cover all of it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You're a one woman um, band. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure whether this is a yeah is a good thing really, but uh, um, obviously that's something that I'm going to look at is um, taking on a part time employee so that I can actually go um, away for longer periods of time if I want to. So I've got somebody else I can rely on. Um, also, my husband he he does all the garden maintenance and also part of the maintenance as well. Um, so we are we have very much kept the whole thing um, both financially and um, in everything we do within the family. We haven't gone outside to uh, external investors. We've always managed to find a way of finding money from like within sort of thing. And obviously, the support of the builder as we've just talked about.
0: Yeah, well, you know, this is one thing, Jane. You and I started working together, oh, it must be about two years ago now. I think you joined uh, my mentoring program, didn't you? And I think at the time you had maybe four or five HMOs um, and you were looking at systemizing and growing the business and, you know, finding a way forward. Um, And I think one of the things that has always impressed me about you is – you, you're very resilient. You know, you 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 although you might not see this, you're you're pretty unflappable. That even when you haven't got the money to do a refurb, or you've got a few rooms that are empty, or um, you know, even in your own home, you've had some changes in the house so that you can have your own office now because of COVID, you know, you've just Got on with it you've just done it and you know you're you always say to me oh I'm a bit lazy Wendy or I don't really do it or I, I always find other things to distract <laughs> me but you know then then we have a call and you'll say oh yeah I did this and yeah I did that and you know right now I can we're, we're, we're recording this on zoom and I can see your your office is neatly organized you've got your files behind you on the bookcase and you've done it and you know you're you're you, you I, I think you you take this for granted, you take what you can do as just kind of normal stuff. But you know, for many people, this would be a massive challenge. (laughs) I think they would think you've done what? Because you how many how many rooms do you have now, Jane? 59. 59. And you manage them all on your own, you and Mike. I know. I know. Mike doesn't perhaps manage the tenants, but he certainly does some of the practical side. Uh-huh. I mean, that that's a tremendous business. That's a tremendous undertaking, and you've done it very creatively, and you've done it finding good deals and you, you you've been able to fund them through using your network okay uh, you haven't had to you haven't had to really broaden the network massively because you've been able to find the funding from
1: your builder <laughs> good old <laughs> Bob the Builder um and from other means I was li- I was listing them earlier on actually um I mean I, I from time to time I've maxed out my credit cards um, mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I've reinvested income as I've grown, reinvested income from the business. Uh, we've remortgaged our house. Mm-hmm. And I've used endowment policies that have come along from, um, to, to finance it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've had like small family loans from from my mum and uh, from my youngest son, who's uh, currently loaning me a small amount of money for a large amount of interest. <laughs>
0: That's probably you know his retort when he used to get him up in the morning and say, "Come and do the yes, <laughs> yes painter's mate, payback time now." <laughs> exactly, <Yeah>. that's right. <laughs> so, but that that's all that's all really good to hear because I think that sometimes when you're out of the uh, property investing community or you're starting to get you know get going in HMOs, it's very easy to think, well, "What am I going to do when I run out of money?" But your evidence that actually you find the money, the money will come if you find the. Projects and the deals. And if you prove to be a good business person, it, you do, you just find it from family, you find it from pots of money, like you say, you become more um, willing to use your own lines of credit. Um, and of course, there are lots of creative ways nowadays to uh, borrow money from other people, utilize sasses and pensions, etc. So there's lots of routes out there to, to mm-hmm. find the money. And it, And as you say, you've always been able to do that, which is great. Now, one thing also, Jane, that I know you enjoy, but I know many people really don't enjoy this, is the tenant side of the business. Um, do you think that is partly because of your background in in, in your, you know, when you were, you were in the local authority?
1: Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I dealt with all sorts of different types of people during that period of time. So nobody kind of really phases me now sort of thing um so uh, yeah I've, I really enjoy the, the dealing with the young working professionals as well I mean they're yeah I enjoy chatting to them then I suppose also they're not a dissimilaration to my own children um so I kind of know a bit about what they're kind of going through as well so it's quite easy to get a conversation going and to contribute a little bit yeah to it as well sort of thing so yeah no, so I really like doing that part of it and I'm sure they also appreciate
0: having a landlady who is like you, who is available, who's local, who will, um, you know, see to their repairs and maintenance quickly, and you know, in, in a in a very effective way. Uh, all of those things keep
1: tenants for much longer, don't they? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I think maybe I need to find a balance, though, sort of thing between between that and also between. Um, enabling myself to step back a bit further from business when I want to, um, yeah. So that that would be the move forward to try and find somebody to to work part time for me, really. And I suppose also as travel
0: starts to open up, you know, we've got a bit of a pathway now, haven't we, to opening up after COVID. You know, you might decide, yes, you want to book a flight and go abroad for a few weeks, and without having the help and the team there to help you, it, you know, you'll be finding you'll be answering phone calls, you know, when you're in New Zealand or somewhere.
1: Somewhere, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is not what you want. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> that's right. So yeah. So that's what I, you know, that'll be the next phase really, I think, of um going forward with the business is um yeah, just to try and make make it work a little bit without without me being there.
0: Yeah. So you you like that side of the business, which is great.
1: What do you like least about HMOs? i I suppose like the just with the dealing with tenants, I guess it's like where you get the niggly little problems in the houses sometimes. I don't get that many to be fair, but um the things like around people not doing their washing up and you know that type of kind of uh uh sort of issue I'm not overly keen on dealing with that type of thing um but I say thankfully it's not very uh it's not very common um What else do I not like doing? I mean, most of the other things I I don't mind doing, to be honest. Well, I think it's interesting that you you struggle almost to answer the question, which shows to me that you've
0: obviously set them up properly and you've set them up well. And when you have tenants who apply for the rooms and you know you fill the rooms, they're obviously the right tenants for the house. Otherwise, you would clearly have more problems. So that that's very much part of your brand, though. You know, the the, the fact that it's called the fold co-living, I think tells everybody very clearly what kind of brand you have. And I think that's very important. I've always said to people, develop a brand because there is competition in the marketplace. There is, uh, there is, in some areas, oversaturation. How are tenants going to choose you over somebody else? Well, one of the best ways is to develop a unique selling point. What is it you're good at and why should tenants care about it? Um, and, I, and I think you've done that really well. I think it's a very powerful brand and I think you, you run that you know, exceptionally well. And I suppose for you, the challenge is going to be getting somebody else in who also embodies that brand so that it doesn't dilute by having a team mm-hmm. in place.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. I, I do get quite a few people from like coming from um, areas a little bit further away, even just recently in particular sort of thing. So um, they would have to travel to work some quite a few miles if they decided to take the house. But they they like the idea of what I'm actually I'm actually providing.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and also there's there's a lot of people who don't actually sort of stick to a an age range as well. Um, so I very clearly try and stick to. Um, a specific age range so that um yeah they're all at a similar stage in life they kind of so they're more likely to get on with each other. Um and I am very particular about who I kind of like choose as as the next tenant to try right. get to try and get somebody who I think will fit into the into the house. And sometimes and you, involve the other tenants, but not all not always it just depends. Really. Oh okay. And do you think that affects your occupancy rates? Um I'd say uh, most of the time no um occasionally occasionally it has um in times when there's less people looking I mean at this very moment there's quite a few people looking so it is easier to pick and choose whereas at other times um know, yeah, when it's been more difficult uh it's more tricky and uh, occasionally I I've made the wrong decision at those times I've taken somebody who has has become a problem although I've known that that might have been the case I've taken somebody to fill the room, um, and then the issues have started. So, yeah. So you've you've learned from that. In yeah, indeed, yeah,
0: that's right. Mm-hmm. A <laughs> massive learning curve all the time. Absolutely, and of course, it's a very fluid market. I think HMOs—you know what happened last year, what happened six months ago—is not necessarily what's happening now. Um, from what you see right now, though, Jane, what what do you think the next year will herald for the HMO market, and particularly in your in your area? And of course, for you personally, where's this where's this all going?
1: I think um, locally, um, there's going to still be high demands. A lot of my tenants come from the uh, local hospital and most of my properties are actually a short walking distance from the hospital. So there are always like nurses, doctors, radiographers, midwives, et cetera, um, looking for accommodation. And also the local hospital is currently um, regularly bringing in people from abroad who they put in hospital accommodation for a short while and then they say they have to go and find a room themselves. So there's there's lots of people coming coming through. Uh, and lots of people who actually went back to live with parents during COVID uh, to save money are now trying to escape their parents and uh, coming back into shared housing. So I think the demand will certainly continue where I am. Um, so from my point of view, I think I've probably reached a point where I'm not going to do any more HMOs in the same area because I think I've probably got enough. Uh, and I do. I don't think I've reached saturation point, but I do worry about that sometimes um and particularly during covid when there's been kind of massive highs and lows really um you know i've like lost a load of tenants initially then i gained a load and then i've lost a load again and it's kind of where every time you kind of lose the load again you kind of there's always that concern that am i going to find people to uh to fill the rooms again but you know, each time i have been able to but there's always that kind of slight nagging down your head that, that, that that's going to be the case on you know, going forward so yes. the, you're definitely gonna do something else in property. I don't know exactly what that is, but um it probably won't be HMOs in this area anymore. Mm-hmm. And and hopefully a little bit of travel yeah. as well. Yeah, well exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Try and you know, fulfill some of those lifetime goals and ambitions, that would be good. That would be good, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant, Jane. Well, um, I'm sure your family must be very proud of you and what you've achieved. What what, what do your children think about what you've done? Do do they just kind of take it for granted like mine seem to do? Or (laughs) do you think they can see that you've spent a number of years really investing and and, and building this tremendous uh,
1: property portfolio? I think it's probably a bit of a mixture. I think they do, to a certain extent, take it for granted. Um, But i think um certainly i've got three three children so um certainly the two boys i think at some stage they might go into um doing something with property um certainly my eldest son has talked about like getting into property development at a later stage so so hopefully that you know he can see the benefit of what i've um what i've done Um,
0: if if you were going to give, let's say, either your children or somebody who's kind of new to HMOs right now, if you were going to give them, you know, some tips, some some, you know, things you've learned along your journey, what what tips would you give to a new investor?
1: Um, I would say get yourself educated. I think that that is really important, particularly particularly if you're doing one of the more complicated strategies. Um, And I would say HMO, HMO, there's so much legislation, et cetera. You've got to get all your ducks in a row and everything right. So I'd definitely say get get educated to do that. Uh, But then take action because otherwise then there's no point in getting educated really, is there? It's like um, uh, you need to take action to move things forward and, and don't be afraid of making a few mistakes initially because you will refine it as you go along um but definitely yeah definitely go ahead and do it
0: brilliant brilliant well that that's absolutely great and now Jane can
1: you ever see yourself retiring <laughs> part of me thinks that would be nice but I me thinks <laughs> I'm not so sure so I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe being uh, an HMO investor actually keeps you young. You're certainly very young at heart and uh, with your tennis, you're not you're not quite at Wimbledon level yet, but, you know, you might be. Um, one day,
1: I, I'm thinking when I get to kind of, you know, if I was still playing when I was 85 or something, uh, all the competition that was no longer playing, then maybe I might get that, you know.
0: You could be a veteran, couldn't <laughs> you? Playing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of the veteran <laughs> t- <right>. t- yeah. <laughs> tournaments. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it would be nice to travel and play tennis abroad as well, that sort of thing. Now, I mean, there's lots of things I uh, I definitely could do with my time. So just to have a bit more of it, um, I guess, as I get a bit older would be good. Yeah, yeah, great. But to keep the properties and, you know, obviously keep the income coming in because once uh, that, that gives you the choices of things you can, you're able to do really. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, you're you're still working. You're still
0: growing. You're learning. You're applying. You yourself are taking action. You yourself are continuing to educate yourself, which is it's it's great for people to hear about. And uh, Jane, you know, I, I think you 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 are an inspiration, and I think what you've done is amazing. And I know lots of people feel the same way about what you've done. Uh, I think it's a great brand. You've got some lovely HMOs, and uh, I, I want to thank you very much indeed for. Being being on the podcast today as well it's been lovely to interview you and uh, share your story with other people I know that many people will have questions or comments as a result of it and uh, you know we'd obviously love to hear those questions and comments so um, I just want to say thank you very much indeed for your time today and um, all the best for the next year as you grow and scale your team and hopefully as we all get out there and utilize the cash flow we have to travel a bit more.
1: That's great thank you Wendy. Take care,
0: Jane. Bye now. Yeah, okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love to get your feedback. Please like, subscribe and share the podcast with anybody you know who might be interested in investing in HMOs and creating a profitable HMO portfolio. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.